0: I'm the host of the public radio show, The Sound of Young America. I'm the host of the podcast, Jordan Jesse Go. the webmaster of MaximumFun.org. And my name is Jesse Thorne, although some call me Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart.
1: Thanks, Jesse. Welcome to Media Sound My name is Emerson Murray.
2: I'm Lyle Troxell. Hey, Jesse. I'm Jesse Thorne. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, so The Sound of Young America is kind of a, a bridge between public radio and... Um, uh, the internet, podcasting, and such. How do you how do you view the show? Um, repeat that question. Well, I guess you introduce you introduce um, the sound of y- young America as a radio show. Um, both Emerson and I, though we can listen to it on KOSP, we subscribe via podcasting. I think you probably have a pretty large audience of subscribers. So, how do you see yourself as a podcaster versus a um, PRI redu- um, published? Radio show.
0: You know, it's funny. I I I think of myself. I think of myself in large part as a radio host, especially because the show got started um, as a radio show, actually in in Santa Cruz, uh, where you guys are on, on KZSC. But uh, the thing about radio is that, uh, as you guys, I'm sure know, you sort of throw this signal out into the ether. And uh, nothing really bounces back, and, and you could just as you could just as well be, you know, playing your favorite death metal records as um, as interviewing somebody that you really admire, and you get about the same response back. You know, I, I used to give out my email address on every show, and I would get an email, you know, once a month. And uh, when I started podcasting the audience is very differently oriented in podcasting. The audience uh, expects uh, a relationship with a podcaster in a way that a radio host doesn't. They expect a a sort of a reciprocal uh, relationship, and to some extent they they expect a relationship with each other as listeners. So, the kind of continuous feedback loop that I get from being a podcaster is much stronger than uh, the kind of throw it out into the air um, feeling that I get from being a radio host. So, uh, I often just I often think of myself as a podcaster who happens to who happens to be on the radio, despite the fact that. Um, I think with the different stations that I'm on, I've probably got three times as many listeners uh, over the air as, as I do on the internet.
2: That's good to know. Are, are you getting those numbers from Arbitron? Do you think? Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the uh, I, you know, I'm on um, I'm on WNYC in New York and WHYY in Philadelphia, and those are two stations that are big enough that. Um, I could literally just play that. Uh, uh, what is it? A, a John Cage piece where he just sat at the <laughs> piano and didn't play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, you know, and I could, you know, trip and fall and hit my face on twenty thousand listeners. Wow! So I mean, that's just like you know, it's the people who can't change the can't change the uh, station on their radio because it's broken and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, because there's twelve Trapped. million people in New York yeah. City. You know. Yeah. So um, so I, you know, I naturally, just by virtue of those facts, have a lot of listeners on, on the radio. But, you know, podcast listeners and radio listeners are very different because of that very thing. I mean, there are a lot of people listening on the radio because they um, don't bother to change the channel of their radio. and They just turn it on when they want some background when they're cooking or whatever. Um, and everyone who listens to a podcast has sought it out. Certainly, in my case, it's not like I'm advertising. Uh, has sought it out and chosen it, um, and kind of, sort of asked for that specific thing to be part of their life. You
2: can assume that your podcast people are your fans. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I'm sure. I mean, I, I I like to think that I probably have fans on the radio too. But it's it's an odd, it's a new type of media. I mean, it's. I I suppose that that this is true to some extent with uh, with books as well, but the 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 audience is comprised exclusively of people who've you know gone out of their way to choose it. It's certainly a new it's certainly new in the in the broadcasting world. You know, it's it's uh, something that you see the the TV networks, the main TV networks, really struggling with as they realize that they have to they have to make programming that someone would pick as opposed to programming that wouldn't prompt someone to change the channel.
1: Yeah, and the same with feedback I think. I think they're really struggling with feedback from listeners where they're not used to getting that in the past.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's such I mean I'm sure you you guys know from uh, your podcasting. It's just really, it's really gratifying uh, that feedback, and it's really great. You know, for me, I uh, my website has a really active forum uh, that's about many, many things that have nothing to do with the sound of young America or Jordan Jesse Go or any of the other uh, podcast shows on the site. It's really just a community of like-minded people talking about all all kinds of different stuff. And um, that's something that, you know, you could kind of experience virtually in a way through something it's like a kind of radio that has a really strong identification, like, say, a, a sports radio right. channel that carries everyone's favorite baseball team or, or to some extent a public radio station. But it's, it's really real in, in this medium.
1: Yeah, and it's right there in your face. How do you deal with uh, censorship? Have you ever had to deal with any kind of censorship on your forum, or is it completely open?
0: You know, my forum. I mean, my forum has moderators, especially because it's um, like any forum on the internet in 2008. It's always being targeted by spammers right. and spam bots. <laughs> but um, but I haven't had a lot of I haven't had a lot of trouble on the forum. I think the fact that I'm actively engaged in the forum helps a lot. Because uh, people feel on the forum like I'm around, so they don't. They tend not to say things that they wouldn't <laughs> be comfortable saying to me. <laughs> Mom and Dad are home. Um, yeah. So you know, people are critical. Uh, people are certainly critical on the forum, but nobody. There's not a lot of ad hominem attacks. Um, and and you know, the fact that I'm engaged in the forum really sets the tone. You know, that it's a it's a place you know to have fun and and be supportive of each other as opposed to. A place to argue about things and uh be mean to each other
1: all right can you talk a little bit about um money uh making money on your <laughs> uh, on your podcast versus making money um as in traditional radio
0: yeah i mean um uh, uh you know i don't I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too much but um i the podcast is is what supports me oh wow. um hmm. At, at the end of the day, the, the public ra- money in public radio, as I'm sure you guys know firsthand, is very, very, very limited. <laughs> um, and even, and I was dismayed to learn when I signed my first uh, national distribution contract that even if you're nationally distributed and on some really big stations, it's still hard to get any money. And, uh, that's why most public radio shows are produced by um, produced by stations or produced by uh, the the distributing organizations themselves, like American Public Media or uh, National Public Radio. Um, whereas my show is produced by me and owned by me, and I you know literally do it in in my house. Uh,
2: I, um, Jesse, so Jesse, I heard a, I heard a study recently that about NPR's uh, syndicated shows, about sixty syndicated shows that NPR carries. Of all of those shows the one the only ones that are actually making money for the stations that are that are syndicating them are uh, Car Talk and Prairie Home Companion, which is kind of amazing to me <laughs> that we don 't have the other big names up there and the reason those ones are successful is um, you know Prairie Home Companion sells a lot of merchandise and Car Talk um, I would assume it has to do with underwriting so it 's kind of phenomenal to me that there 's actually the radio stations themselves, the home radio stations that produce the show, lose money on even things like This American Life and uh, and uh, I don't know Terry Gross's show as well. So why are you in this business?
0: Why am I in this business? Well, I don't have any other business opportunities uh, cropping up around me. Um, I, <laughs> I, I do have a I do have a TV show in in, uh, in production right now, but uh, we'll see if it uh, we'll see if it becomes a series um I, I mean the the reason that i'm in that i'm in this business basically is um, audio production is something that anyone can do I mean the amount of training that it required for me to be able to operate the equipment to do the technical side of producing my show you know three hours maybe yeah. six hours I, it certainly takes more time to get really good at it and I'm still you know learning about how to get better and better but the technical limitations are are uh, are pretty modest you know i mean i'm i have this kind of professional quality equipment now um but even this professional quality equipment that in in total you know not counting my com- my home computer couldn't have cost me more than, more than $2000 right. so audio production is something that's totally within my means to do and especially when i was younger you know I wanted to really do something that was, uh, that was as close as I could get to, uh, professional quality and, uh, audio was the medium where, where I could do that. And you know, video is certainly getting easier, but it still hasn't gotten there. Um, and, uh, and in terms of why I'm in public radio specifically, I mean, have you listened to commercial radio? Oh, well, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> basically, that's why, I mean.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so you y- you make money off your podcast. Um, can I assume that that's because you ask for people to donate money to you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most of the, um, I, the podcast has basically two, two, uh, two revenue streams. The... The main one and the one that I'm really, uh, proud of and awed by and as the politicians always say, somewhat disingenuously humbled by (laughs) is, uh, direct, is direct listener donations. So, um, once a year I try and keep it really low key and, um, and certainly encourage people to donate to their local public radio stations, which offer a, you know, very different service from what I'm offering. Um, I ask people to, uh, donate to the show or actually commit to donating a, a small amount, a couple dollars every month. Um, and even with a really small percentage of my total listener base donating, it still adds up to a living. Now, I should say that I have really modest living, um, <laughs> but, you know, before I was doing this for money, I was a receptionist for money. So, you know, there was not it's not like I gave up a career as a lawyer right. to do this.
2: Okay, I don't, um, don't want
0: to... and And... And then I was gonna, I was just gonna add that I do, you know, I also have underwriting on the podcast, um, just like you know, Car Talk has underwriting on on their radio show. That is also on the radio, and that's a little bit of money as well.
2: Okay, so I don't want to get into exactly how much money you get paid for this because we don't need to all know how much how modest your living is. But can you tell talk it's about five hundred thousand dollars a month? Sweet, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> modest. He's um, a simple man. <laughs>
0: I can how? barely afford to fill my treasure bag. What, what kind
2: of what, how, how many listeners do you have on your podcast? Subscribers and how many of those people actually participate by giving you some funds?
0: Um, it's uh, the t- the total number of subscribers is somewhere in the uh, somewhere in the lowish five digits, um, and I would say the and the number of um, the number of subscribers is uh, a few hundred um I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head but
1: you're
0: I'm looking at um I don't remember exactly what it is but it's it's less than less than 10%. I think it's fr- less than 5%. I think it's like 4 3 4 5% something like that. That
2: actually fork up some money every once in a while.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that includes people who, you know, just gave me tw- give me 20 bucks at the pledge drive or right. uh or or give 2 bucks a month or something like
2: that. I- I've heard um public radio stations get about a 10% return on listenership. So that's pretty good
0: yeah, no, I mean I, I feel really good about it. I mean the, to the extent to which you know it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a balance for me because part of it is um, you know a public radio station is in people's ears all the time and providing them all these different services, especially news that they couldn't get anywhere else, and that's not something that I can provide uh, I, I can provide to people, but on the other hand, um, I think, especially with Jordan Jesse Go, but also with the Sound of Young America, people feel a very strong connection with uh, me and the shows that I produce, and uh, and want to support that. Especially the people who are, you know, who are more actively engaged, the kind of folks, the kind of folks who send me emails.
2: Right. All right. When you talk about those numbers, is that for this? Is that for your um, for Sound of Young America or for Jordan Jesse Go, or kind of combined?
0: Uh, well, the, the listenership numbers I gave you were for the for the Sound of Young America uh, specifically. I think George F. Go has about half as many listeners as the Sound of Young America these days um, on uh, on the podcast. And of course, I you know I also produce other shows like Coyle and Sharp and and the Casper Hauser comedy podcast, right. and those have you know wildly varying audiences.
2: Sure. And um, do you ever promote the donation or the or your podcast on the radio?
0: no i I think that would be um, uh, my uh, I feel like that would be distasteful and also disrespectful to the stations who are paying for it because they're asking people to donate to support uh, them paying for the right. show and they are they are and if it's uh not as much money as I might dream
1: <laughs> Right. so who works on your show do you do you work on your show alone? We talked to Chris the intern a little bit earlier
0: yeah well um it's uh, as of right now, it's it's me. I'm the main employee slash owner. I uh, I usually have an intern, uh, unless there's, um, you know, unless there's no good applicants for a given semester. So uh, Chris is my intern right now. This is actually his last day. I have a dog named Coco who sort of provides encouragement mm-hmm. and greets guests. And uh, as of very recently, um, about a month ago or so, I have a, a friend. Lives in Chicago, who who edits the show. Which is, it's a not oh, nice. a super heavily edited show, so it's a relatively small job. But um, he just does that for me, uh, you know, for a for a small monthly stipend, basically.
2: That's
1: nice. Mm-hmm. So you have, yeah. So he it, edits the yeah. show for, um, just for content purposes, or just uh, he,
0: yeah. I mean, he you know he just put he just puts it he just puts it together. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and he'll and he and he. He's an extra year on the interviews. You know, the interviews are, are very lightly edited, but, you know, often to, for time to fit things together for a radio show, you, you need a touch of editing. Right.
1: So can you talk a little bit about the move from the college radio station to what you're doing now and sort of that transitional period?
0: Yeah, I did show on the show col- on college radio for a long time, um, uh, something like five years. And um, all the other stuff sort of, in a funny way, kind of came at once uh, about two and a half years ago. Um, I was on a couple of small stations when I was on the college radio station in addition to uh, in addition to the college radio station but basically i was I was just there in santa Cruz and um, at a, a, a similar in a se- similar period of time uh, a guest who had been on the show now a good friend of mine, uh, John Hodgman recommended my show to WNYC in New York, uh, and the program director there listened to it and decided, it, he, decided he liked it and um, uh, offered to give me a little trial run on, um, on WNYC. Around that same time, uh, some board members at uh, uh, KUSP in Santa Cruz uh, had been listening to the show on KZSC and recommended it to uh, the program director, uh, Terry Green at KUSP, and, um, Terry got in touch with me and we started talking about moving the show from KZSC to KUSP. And, um, in, in maybe six months after that, I, I first heard from PRI, who didn't know about either of those other two developments, but had just, you know, casually heard the show in iTunes and, wow. uh, and, and really liked it. And, and that process took like a year. And, uh, about, uh, uh, about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, now uh, I, I started. Uh, I started being distributed by PRI.
2: Now, the station manager at KSP, Terry Green, did he ever get you on KSP? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, that was the first. That was the first one of those things to actually happen. And it was a really big deal for me for a kind of an odd reason, which is that by that point I was well graduated from college and I was living in San Francisco and driving back and forth to Santa Cruz once a week to do the show. Um, at KZSC. And um, getting on to KUSP meant that I actually, uh, I basically sold my car and bought the equipment to do my show from home. Um, and the big difference for me uh, of being on KUSP rather than being on KZSC was that uh, KUSP had an engineer. So if I just made the show and put it on a CD, uh, the engineer could play it on the radio. Whereas right. at KZSC, uh, I actually had to be the one to press play on the CD player and move the faders and sit in there in case there was, uh, you know, a, a tornado or something. So yeah. so
2: KUSP did get you on via CD before PRI started being in the mix?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started with KUSP before, uh, before PRI. I mean, right, I started with them right around the same time that I first started talking to PRI, and the talking to PRI took a really long time. It took about took about a year, maybe even more than a year. Um, so I was on I was on KUSB before I was with PRI and KUS, KUSB I still kind of think of as my as my home on the radio.
2: What's what's uh, what time frame are we talking about? What what year?
0: Well, we're looking at uh, uh, I'm a, I'm about a year on PRI, mm-hmm. so I've been about I guess about two years maybe on on KUSB. And all of this stuff, you know, the sort of formative parts of this started maybe two and a half years ago. So, I'm coming up on about eight, eight years of doing The Sound of Young America, nice. something like that.
2: So moving from college radio, I mean, it's interesting that you were able to connect with two different radio stations that had heard you from recommendation and directly because you were in that area. And then also that PRI heard you through iTunes. I think it's fascinating. Not that it you didn't go through the traditional radio station pr- s- promotes you up to the bigger people. They actually found you. Who at PRI found you, and are they still your supporter?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the program, I guess he's called now, he's he's changed his title to something like Chief Content Officer of uh, PRI. Is a guy named Mike Arnold who um, very much to his credit is always... Poking around for new stuff and uh, new ideas in his own very low-key guy from Minnesota way, um, and uh, and he yeah he just heard the show on iTunes. I mean I think he was I I think what happened, um, and this is a supposition on my part, is that he looked at the you know top 25 or top 50 public radio shows on iTunes. And saw a bunch of shows that he'd heard of and one that he hadn't. <laughs> and, uh, and thought, maybe, maybe I should give this a listen. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I sincerely don't think, with, without podcasting, I don't think any of this, a, any of this would have happened. And it's not so much, it's not so much because my podcast audience is so gargantuan and enormous that it's like an, a tremendous phenomenon that can be stopped. It's more just because, uh, it gives people a way to access the show who might want to, who might hear about it. You know, if, if, uh, you know, if John Hodgman casually says to uh, the guy from WNYC in New York, you know, I was on this really, I had a really great time on this little radio show called The Sound of Young America, that guy from WNYC in New York can, can right. type The Sound of Young America into iTunes and, and mm-hmm. download it right away.
1: Does, does PRI ever comment or have anything to do with the subjects of, of The Sound of Young America?
0: I, I, I again I think very much to their credit I think they they understand that uh what makes the sound of young America the sound of young america is uh my editorial perspective i think we've we've started to talk to program directors a little bit about um uh, about you know like formatting issues and stuff like that right. like what 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 the things mean to them and it's really cool for me to get that perspective from them since i have never worked at a public radio station and and basically completely unqualified to host and produce a national public radio program. Um, so uh, getting that I get a little bit of feedback, but they have never um, they've never given me feedback in the way that you you know, that you see in a television program about making a television program where you kind of like sit in a boardroom and somebody says, you know, we need to appeal to women. Can you cast Sissy Spacek or whatever? (laughs) Um, I don't know why casting Sissy Spacek would be the (laughs) ultimate move to appeal to women. Women love Spacek. (laughs) We just got the report in. The fairer sex is in love with Spacek. Um, but yeah, no, I've never, I've never gotten that kind of, um, I've never gotten, the, I've never gotten what I would call, uh, I've gotten feedback, but never guidance. That never never notes. Felt like They were pushing me in one direction yeah. or another. Never notes. Yeah. Just, just like, you know, they, uh, a couple times recently, basically because I asked for it, they convened groups of program directors just to listen to the show and say what they thought, because I was kind of interested to hear what oh, program well, what, directors what thought. Fe- what
2: kind of feedback did they yeah. give
0: uh, you know, I think um, one thing about my show that surprises program directors is that it's a lot looser than most public radio shows. I think if right. you listen to, I think most public radio show, most, most people in power in public radio, uh, just because of the kind of the structure of where jobs are, came up as reporters, uh, local reporters for uh, their station who were contributing to, you know, All Things Considered and Morning Edition and shows like that. And so their aesthetic is very much defined by uh defined by that you know two four five minute news piece and anything that's more uh anything that's longer or has any digressions feels you know crazily loosey goosey to them yeah. to some extent, so that's something that I hear from time to time and and again totally not from everybody in fact, yeah. a lot of people tell me that what they like is that it isn't that specifically. Um, but that's, that's a big thing I hear. And, you know, the public radio audience is always, uh, is, is much, much, uh, older. very much on the older side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like a, a lot of stations have, you know, average ages in the, in the fifties and sometimes even the late fifties and sixties. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, I mean, to me, I've always listened to public radio and, and everyone I know uh, in my peer group, uh, just listens to public radio and when they're not listening to music on the radio, at least. And, um, so that's a, always a surprise to me, but the, the numbers are what they are. So they're, so they're often concerned about, you know, there being rap music. in my Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's what I was going to say. A lot of, you have a lot of young comedians on talking about peeing in the studio and a lot of, uh, hip <laughs> hop artists. Yeah. I would think that that, might not always mesh with uh their demographics, as it were,
0: well you know I, w- what I really strive for is you know the people who read the New York Times are really old too right. uh, on average um but you know the New York Times can write uh uh can write a really fascinating article about uh you know uh even if they call him mr bridges <laughs> exactly um <laughs> And uh, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. We could call him Mr. Chris, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> there are uh, there uh, there are certainly media outlets that um, that can cover these things in a way that doesn't uh, that is neither um, neither inane nor alienates uh, people who aren't uh, who aren't already familiar with it. And that's what that's really what I'm shooting for. And actually, you know, probably the number one kind of email I get. It probably speaks to the fact that I should give my show a new name. Is I'm not young, but I love the sound of young America.
1: Oh, that's great. Um,
0: you know what I mean. Yeah. So I, I don't think you know. I don't think anything that I'm doing. Uh, I, I don't think anything that I'm doing is um, is going to alienate somebody who is uh, somebody who's thoughtful enough uh, to listen to uh, public radio in general.
2: I thought you were just going to change your name as you got older. So when you're in your 30s, you <laughs> can sound of middle-aged
1: America. <laughs> The
0: sound That's of elderly actually feedback America. The feedback, the one the one big feedback that I got from um from the uh program directors was everyone hates the name The Sound of Young America. Oh, wow. And uh the worst was uh the program director at WHYY in Philadelphia who uh is just like a really cool lady and had really cool things to say, said she asked she ran into Terry Gross in the hallways of WHYY, mm-hmm. And asked her if if she heard the sound of Young America and what she thought of it. And Terry Gross just said, "Well, I hate the name." <laughs> <laughs> you should so put now, that quote on your website. Of, yeah, I gotta. I got. I mean, I'm. I'm. To, I would. You know, the name was always a joke. But it was. It was. <laughs> uh, the joke was clearer when it, we were three jerks on college radio than it is now when I'm actually, uh, when I'm actually on a bunch of public radio stations. I mean, the joke. of to be clear is that we're the furthest thing in the world from the actual sound of young america <laughs> right. and the kind of secondary joke is that the sound of young america of course is, is an allusion to motown records the last time that there actually maybe was a sound of young america <laughs> and you know how how i do, we just couldn't be further from that time in cultural history, <laughs> and we're basically making a you know an illusion that only an old person would get. <laughs>
1: That's funny. That's so, great.
0: I didn't get the uh, illusion. Yeah, or a record it. nerd. Say so. I've tried to think of a new name. I'm thinking about Cannonball right now, but I don't yeah, know. I, if, I don't know if that would appeal to public radio program directors any more than yeah. the of Young America does. So
2: just throw it yeah. on Terry. Yeah. Just throw it on Terry Gross. <laughs> just have her name you.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> we've been uh, we've been talking about maybe we should just go for a real public radio-y name. And uh, what we've come up with so far is global perspectives.
1: <sighs> <laughs>
2: Anywho, <laughs> it's not bad actually. It's good. It's, yeah. it's it's good public radio name. You're right.
1: Uh, can we talk about your future a little bit? Your 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 guest reflects so much of what you are interested in yourself. I'm just wondering that in the future, do you? What would you rather have? Would you rather be a national NPR broadcaster? With you know much less control on your guests over who who you're interviewing, or would you rather stick with a smaller show, maybe a podcast where you have complete control?
0: Um, well, I'll tell you, I'm uh, there may be there may well be a time in my life when I look forward to the challenge of um, of doing a really broadly based show of being you know Neil Conan or Ray Suarez or whatever. Um, and and that does have some appeal for me, but I think the reason that doing my show is so fun to me is because of the fact that it really is driven by my own personal interest. And I also think that's really the strength of the show in the sense that people feel like they, they get to know me and my perspective and, uh, and it gives them a chance to, you know, they, they, they trust me, you know what I mean. Right, they yeah. they believe in in what I believe in, and so I think that um, I think that the the future that I would most like is is one where I'm able to continue to do that and and broaden in in other ways. I mean, for example, right now I'm in the middle of I'm in the middle of planning the first ever Max Fun Con, <laughs> which cool. is uh, going to be a uh, retreat slash conference slash uh, uh, slash adventure in the hills east of, uh, Southern California here, um, for, uh, people who love the same kind of stuff that I have with, like, comedy shows and, and cooking classes. And I'm hoping Great. I can find somebody to teach a class on, like, how to make a rocket. <laughs>
2: nice. So, you oh. know, uh,
0: that's, that's more interesting. It, ultimately, that's more interesting to me than, uh, you know, inter- interviewing, uh, you
1: know, Whoever, Some Gibranco, or something, yeah, or something right, like sure. that, or being the next Scott um, Simon or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are people who are in love with the medium of radio, and I have nothing but respect for those people. Um, but I'm not really in love with the medium. Um, I think it's great; it works out really well for the kind of stuff that I'm into, and for this way of doing things, which is why I use it. But I'm not like it's. Not, I don't feel like I'm in radio in order to conquer radio. Or in order to be the ultimate radio guy or like to get the most listeners or, right. um, you know, to, to make more money than Rush or, uh, be the anchor on all things considered. Um, you know, so, so letting go of that is, is really easy for me. Whereas letting go of, uh, you know, spending my time with people that I really like and admire is harder.
2: What do you listen to? What's your favorite podcast? And what do you read? What are your favorite blogs?
0: Okay. Uh, well, let's start with what I listen to. My favorite podcasts are um, uh, Never Not Funny, which is hosted by comedian Jimmy Pardo, who uh, oh, yeah, was one, yeah. of my, one of my favorite comedians in the world before he started podcasting. And in fact, the first time he was a guest on my show, I, like, I spent 10 minutes trying to convince him to become a radio host because he was so <laughs> quick and brilliant and yeah. hilarious. And then he went and started a podcast with a, with a good friend of mine, and it's it's been an enormous success for them yeah. because it's so it's so fricking great. Um, so that's like that's my that's my number one favorite. Another show started by people who uh, I always imagined would be really good at this that turned out even better than I expected is uh, a show called "You Look Nice Today: A Journal of Emotional Hygiene." which is uh hosted by uh which is hosted by my friend uh Merlin Mann mm-hmm. and uh, my other friend Scott yeah. Simpson and my, and my new friend Adam Lissagor and and they all they all made friends on Twitter um I I mean I knew two of them just by happenstance but they all made friends on Twitter and it's sort of a it's sort of uh it's sort of a half hour 40 minutes of them getting into these silly ideas and completely deadpan and dryly, sort of spinning them out into madness. Right. Um, oh, I gotta and, listen. That
2: sounds uh,
0: great. Really hilarious and and funny. And and another another real favorite of mine is a podcast of a radio show, actually called uh, "The Best Show on WFMU," which is out <laughs> of uh, WFMU, the legendary freeform radio station in uh, uh, in Jersey City, New Jersey. It's hosted by this guy called Tom Sharpling, who is. Um, undoubtedly my favorite radio host in america right now he um... He, he's actually a uh, uh, comedy writer he writes comedy screenplays and he writes for the tv show monk but um, his show is it's a combination of this sort of of a traditional call-in show with the kind of continual running joke of is tom being sincere or is he putting you on um in terms of like what he likes so yeah. he, he just kind of plays cat and mouse games with the callers. And then it has this added element which is uh Tom's writing partner John Worcester who's probably best known as the drummer for Super Chunk <laughs> and a lot of other famous indie rock bands. Um he calls in in character um and it, 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 it uh, sometimes it 'll start as an interview sometimes it 'll start as just a regular call in a response to a topic um, and over the course of literally twenty thirty forty minutes, it will go from a little bit odd to just the craziest thing in the world and often will often will end with um, often will end with the caller threatening to kill Tom <laughs> um, and it, and they all these characters live in this kind of densely populated fictional world. They're all they're all running for mayor of this fictional city at this point. Uh, it's it's really it's really kind of an amazing thing, and it takes it takes a lot of emotional commitment to get involved in this. But once you're in, I'm really proud because uh, I, I they had an awards show earlier this year, and I won worst caller of 2007. <laughs> so. Sounds I'm great. I'm really proud. That's the only one that's ever given me an award. <laughs> um, in, in terms of in terms of what I read um, uh, for comedy stuff, uh, I really like. Uh, there's, a, oh, there's a site called Dead Frog that's sort of comedy, uh, thoughtful analysis stuff. And uh, uh, there's a site called the Apiary that keeps really wonderful track of the New York comedy world. Which, of course, me living in Los Angeles, uh, I have to sort of live vicariously. Right. Um, and, and I really love a, 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 a comedy site called a special thing.com. Um, you know, I like read the arts section of the New York times. I read a lot of rap blogs, blogs about rap music. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite, my favorite thing, uh, to come out of one of those blogs is this, uh, video, uh, this short video series called the Internet's celebrities, um, that's hosted by this guy, uh, uh, called Rafi who ran a great hip hop blog called O oh Word and his, sort of partner in crime. They're these two kind of, I've, I hope they'll pardon me if they somehow happen to hear this, these two fat, floppy guys. <laughs> and uh, and they go and they and they make these really hilarious and also like insightful videos basically about urban living and, that I can really relate to because I grew up sort of in the, you uh, know, uh, what you might call an inner city environment in San Francisco. So they go and, and you know, they just made a really wonderful one, for example, about, Check cashing places. They they made a really great one about how to make a Big Mac uh, from things from the 99 cent menu, so you don't have to pay for a Big Mac. Um,
1: that's awesome.
0: That, that kind of stuff. That's that's right now. That's like my favorite. That's, that's awesome. my favorite internet thing is the internet's celebrities. <laughs> internet plural, to be
2: clear. Jesse, thank you very much for joining us. You can learn thank more so about much. Jesse at
0: Maximum Fun. Dot org. The forum, the blog, updated multiple times a day, all of the shows. It's
2: all MaximumFun.org. Thanks for right. talking with Thanks, us, man. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, guys.
1: This is Media Sound Off. My name is Emerson Murray.
2: I'm Lyle Troxel. You can hear more of our episodes at MediaSoundOff.com. Thanks for listening.